You are listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland, Maine. Show summaries are available at doctorlisa.org. Download and become a podcast subscriber of Dr. Lisa Belial through iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details. Here are some highlights from this week's program. I think the important thing is to provide a sacred opportunity, a sacred conversation. By sacred, I mean when there's two of you talking, both of you know that you're not the only ones in the room, that there is something, somebody, something larger than the two of you there and present. Expressing natural emotions opens up pathways to the spirit. It's as if it cleans out and clears out pathways to the spirit. You know, I felt very blessed in a, in a funny way. Obviously, never would have wanted her to get sick, but the fact that she was sick gave us this chance to really care for her, and it afforded us a lot of time to say all the things we wanted to say, to really connect in a deep way through caring for, the, for her through this illness. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin at Remax Heritage, Robin Hodgkin at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists, Marcy Booth of Booth Financial Services, UNE, the University of New England, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, and The Body Architect. Hello, this is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 50, Healing Companionship airing for the first time on August 26, 2012, on WLOB and WPEI Radio, Portland, Maine. Today's guests include the Reverend Jacob Watson, founder of the Chaplaincy Institute of Maine, and also John Patrick Walker, actor, musician, songwriter, and now member of J.P. Walker and the Guilty Party. We think that healing companionship is a good topic to talk about because it's something that I see in my practice all the time, the need for a healing companion. When times get rough or even just attempting to slog through the daily life, it means a lot to have someone by your side, someone who can reflect with you, someone who can offer perspective, and someone who can see how things have been for you over the long term. Many of my patients have been with me for many years, beginning when I was a family practice doctor and have followed me into my Chinese medicine, integrative medicine, and acupuncture practice. And I've been able to offer them, well, again, perspective on the issues they've been facing, whether it's dealing with grief or weight loss or pain management. It's easy for me to look back over the course of my time with them and find things that can be helpful um, and hopeful, which is very important. This is specific to my medical practice, of course, but the same holds true in the areas of spirituality. This is why we've asked the Reverend Jacob Watson to come talk with us today, because this is his specialty. A former grief counselor, he founded the Chaplaincy Institute of Maine more than a decade ago, and now also has a private practice where he offers spiritual companionship to individuals. John Patrick Walker found himself in the presence of a very interesting spiritual and healing companion, one that he never even really met over the course of his time spent dealing with his mother's illness and eventual death. And he turned to music as a type of companion to help him through this grieving process. 
Thank you for joining us on our Healing Companionship show. I will be speaking with the Reverend Jacob Watson, and my co-host Genevieve Morgan will be joining us in our conversation with John Patrick Walker. We hope you enjoy this. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is pleased to be sponsored by the University of New England. As part of our collaboration, we offer weekly a segment we call Wellness Innovations. This week's Wellness Innovation comes directly out of the University of New England, which was recently awarded a $10 million National Institutes of Health grant to conduct research and establish a center on the neurobiology of pain. The five-year award will be used to establish the UNE Center of Biomedical Research Excellence for the study of pain and sensory function. This center aims to significantly contribute to the scientific understanding of the neurobiology of chronic pain and sensory function, facilitating the discovery and development of new therapies. For more information on this wellness innovation, visit doctorlisa.org. For more information on this very innovative school, the University of New England, visit une.edu. This portion of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast has been brought to you by the University of New England, UNE, an innovative health sciences university grounded in the liberal arts. UNE is the number one educator of health professionals in Maine. Learn more about the University of New England at une.edu. We are speaking with the Reverend Jacob Watson of the Chaplaincy Institute of Maine. In one of our earlier shows, we spoke with Angie Arndt, also of the Chaplaincy Institute of Maine, and this show is a little bit different. So we thank you for being here, Reverend Watson. Thank you. I'd like to uh, dedicate our time together to the alleviation of suffering everywhere, to the healing of everyone uh, everywhere. Thank you for that. Angie Arndt did a nice job representing the Chaplaincy Institute of Maine, But for those who haven't heard about the Chaplaincy Institute of Maine, or CHIME, could you tell us a little bit more about that? CHIME is an interfaith chaplaincy school uh, with a two-year program to train individuals who want to deepen their own spiritual practice, but also who want to be interfaith ministers and uh, serve the, the world. An interfaith minister is someone who's trained to be fully present with no agenda and be accepting of anyone's spiritual or religious path. And uh, I add to um, people with no spiritual or religious path because there are those individuals um, out there today. In this context, a companion is someone who is, again, I'll use those words again, fully present someone who is able to be with you and uh, not, not interrupt you, what's going on. It could be a friend. It could be a professional. It could be uh, spontaneously someone they meet on the street, but someone who is very attuned to not what, only what you're saying, but what's in your heart, that kind of deep uh, spiritual companion. Why is the idea of a spiritual companion important to you? Uh, It's important to me, and uh, it's important to me because I think it's important to the world. Um, Many of the students that walk through our door uh, say that they're lonely, that they've been on a spiritual path or a spiritual quest for quite a long time. 
but they haven't been able to tell anybody about it. Um, they've been afraid of judgments, perhaps, or they might have come from a religion that didn't accept how they evolved as a spiritual being in their teens and later years. So they're wanting that uh, companionship, that deep companionship that involves acceptance, deep acceptance, um, a lack of judgment, but uh, also an encouragement, I think, an encouragement to be uh, truly who you are at uh, both the emotional and the spiritual level. Why are people so lonely? Mm. Well, take a look at our culture. Our culture doesn't like uh, emotion. Uh, our culture likes to cover things up and distract people from what's really going on. Uh, and the only, to go back to the word healing, the only way that we can heal is to be truthful about who we are, to say the truth about what happened to us, the experience, um, the trauma, and uh, express the natural emotions about that trauma, what that was, the pain, the sadness, the suffering, the loss, the anger, the fear. And one of the natural emotions is also love because tragedy brings that feeling up as well. So the way to move through these experiences is to offer the companionship that involves expressing your natural emotions. That's a phrase that goes back to Kubler-Ross, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, the natural emotions. We're human, therefore we feel. Or maybe it's we feel, therefore we're human. That sounds very intimate. It is. That's, that's a good descriptive word. It's very intimate. And that, I think, um, that's what the conversation is about. That's, uh, it is a very intimate conversation, whether it's you with your friend or you with your counselor or you with the uh, sand dunes at Crescent Beach State Park or in the woods at, uh, in Sebago. In my practice, I've noticed that there is trauma and different levels of pain associated with that trauma. But many people don't want to talk about it for fear of seeming as if they're complaining. How does a spiritual or healing companion help people walk that line between expressing their pain and seeming as though they're complaining? Yeah, it's a continuum. You have a right to complain. Life does victimize us, but you don't have to stay there. I think the important thing is to provide um, a sacred opportunity, a sacred conversation. And by sacred, I mean when there's two of you talking, both of you know that you're not the only ones in the room, that there is something, somebody, something larger than the two of you there and present. So it, it gives it a sacred tone. And then it provides the safety, I think, for the feelings to come out, the natural emotions. But you don't stay there. That's the critical part, I think. For me, uh, expressing natural emotions opens up pathways to the spirit. It, it's as if it cleans out and clears out pathways to the spirit. I found that intimacy can be a very intimidating thing for some people, and that people are afraid of it. How can a healing or spiritual companion help individuals move past that fear? The best word is invitation. Provide the invitation and the setting, I suppose. Um, privacy helps at first, but the invitation to be who you really are, to say, this hurts, and this is what happened. Never mind what other people thought happened. This is my experience of what happened. Uh, a, a personal example, 
for years I was a grief counselor. I had helped uh, my friend Bill Hemmons start the Center for Grieving Children. And uh, I, was, I had a full, meaningful practice, and yet there was a still small voice inside. And I didn't know what it was saying. It was saying something about God, something about the divine, but I really couldn't figure it out. Then my counseling office caught fire. I mean, literally caught fire and burned. And I was sitting on the sidewalk outside looking at smoke coming out of my counseling office, knowing that my records and my books and the things that people had given me from workshops and so forth going up in smoke and flames. That woke me up. Within a year, I was back in school. And I finally understood that people were bringing me as a counselor, they were bringing me their broken hearts and their wounded spirits. And when I got that, I said, all right, back to school. <laughs> yeah, so I was studying for a, a doctor of ministry and a chaplaincy ordination. It's very interesting that your office burned down because it was no longer a still small voice. It was instead an enormous burning bush. Yeah, yeah. Why were you ignoring the still small voice? Because I was so involved in the trappings of, of the world. Um, I had a nice practice. I was busy with my family. Um, I was involved in the community. Um, it's the distraction of everyday life, I think. And uh, I needed something like that. Most of us do. Many of the, the individuals, whether back when I was a counselor or now as a minister providing spiritual companionship, People bring their tragedy into those sacred conversations. And those losses, those um, really tough events in a person's life, wake people up. And uh, it's not pretty. It's very, very hard. I mean, somebody in deep grief needs to go through that. And it's painful. There's a lot of um, deep, authentic um, emotion. That's the, that's the bottom line, I think. Their, their deep feeling, their sadness, their anger. People are pissed off about what happened to them, and rightfully so. But they don't need to stay there. They can express that in a sacred environment, a sacred companionship. You mentioned Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, and her seminal work was On Death and Dying, which outlines the stages of grief. Could you give our listeners an idea of what these stages of grief are? Well, I think the best thing was that there, the culture was ready to hear that, that there were stages. What was not so good is that you hear those stages and you think, well, okay, what's next? As if there were a prescription for that. Checklist. Well, if I'm not into the anger, but am I into the bargaining phase or the depression stage? Um, so while she, her great gift to us was to open up the conversation, as usual, the culture takes it too literally and doesn't see the, the metaphor behind it. Um, I'll say a word about the um, depression um, because I think that's, that's quite prevalent in our culture. Um, we take pills to deal with it. But um, the idea of depression is that it damps down all your feelings. You don't feel anything. You don't feel like getting out of bed in the morning. And yet, if you can allow one feeling the culture would like a formula. It doesn't matter what feeling it is. If you can allow one feeling to come up, that moves away from depression because you're beginning to express your natural emotions. And that's the key, letting one feeling come up and be 
externalized was Elizabeth's name. That is, putting outside into the world, into the conversation, the companionship conversation, what's inside, putting that out into the world. And it takes courage to do that. And it takes safety to do that. And it takes a safe person to listen to that. But that's the point, to let that come up and come out. There's movement. Something is happening. You express one feeling, and that the need to express that feeling drops away a little bit, therefore leaving room for the next feeling, whatever it is. And the key is, it doesn't matter what it is, but it's another feeling. It's another authentic, another natural emotion to come up. And that movement, that continuous movement, sometimes on your own, sometimes at Crescent Beach, Sebago, but sometimes with a counselor, with an individual, with an interfaith minister, that movement is what's healthy. And the, the, uh, the notion of being stuck, I mean, that's common. We, we use that in our language. I don't know what to do, whether to take this job or this relationship. I feel stuck about that. That's the key, that that cycle is indeed impeded. It's gotten stuck. So anything you do to move that, anything you do is helpful. Is that a place where our listeners might seek healing or spiritual companionship, perhaps where they're feeling stuck if they've suffered a job loss or undergone grieving through a death or other types of trauma? Yeah, that, that would be a, a clue. That would be a signpost pointing in the direction of working with someone. But I have to say, too, that no one can do this work for you. We, we would like that. We would, I mean, people come into to my office um, or they come into the chaplaincy program sometimes and, or they come into a therapist's office, uh, grief counselor's office, and they would like the other person to do the work. But no one can do this work but the individual who is going through it and, again, moving through it. That's the key phrase, moving through it. Um, I'm reminded of a, a, a quote I like from Andrew Harvey, who's uh, been a Chime workshop leader and uh, uh, a wonderful translator and I think modern day mystic. Um, but Andrew says, uh, you will be graced by the necessary catastrophes. That's only the first half. You will be graced by the necessary catastrophes. They will take away your hiding places and reveal unbelievable beauty. They will take away your hiding places and reveal unbelievable beauty. Why is it that in our culture we are so afraid of going to those dark places? We're afraid of, of losing our, uh, in, it's usually interior status or composure, um, and yet that's precisely what's required. And uh, what people uh, discover, I think, is that they, they may have a lot of anger, they may have a lot of grief, they may have a lot of sadness, but they are not that anger. It's a feeling that comes, and eventually, as they externalize it, it goes. And underneath that, that which doesn't change is their spirit, who they really are at the bottom, bottom level, the deepest level. Their spirit doesn't change. It's natural to be afraid of the unknown, and many people don't have a sense of who they are as a spiritual being because there's all, there's all this overlay that the culture uh, requires us or we think it requires us um, to have a, a role, a particular kind of ego, a particular kind of image in the world. And those things come and go. Some, some of those are voluntary. We choose to have a certain career or job. We choose to be a parent, we choose how to parent. Some are involuntary. 
a car accident or a sudden death. But those come and go. What's underneath that that doesn't change is your spirit, who you are as a spiritual being. We'll return to our program after acknowledging the following generous sponsors. The Body Architect was founded on the belief that mindful exercise improves the health of the mind, body, and spirit. Housed in an open, light-filled space in Portland, Maine, the Body Architect offers a cutting-edge fitness center, expert personal trainers, nutrition counseling, and a full class schedule. Visit thebodyarchitect.com or call 207-774-2196 and get started with The Body Architect today. And by Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists in Falmouth, Maine. At Orthopedic Specialists, ultrasound technology is taken to the highest degree. With state-of-the-art ultrasound equipment, small areas of tendinitis, muscle tears, ligaments, instability, and arthritic conditions can be easily found during examination. For more information, visit orthocareme.com or call 207-781-9077. From what I remember of Angie Arndt's conversation, the first year at the Chaplaincy Institute of Maine is about dissembling. It's about taking apart formerly held ideas. What if people are not willing to um, let go of some of their ideas and, and dissemble what they've previously known? They went there thinking that they were going to be chaplains. I don't, I don't think it's difficult to get people to go there because it doesn't work that way anyway. Uh, people come to Chime and they have heard us say in, in the summer when they're circling around and they're deciding whether to apply or not. They, they hear us say that the first year is the way of contemplation and the second year is a way of action. But then they get there and they find themselves in an environment which is encouraging them to go deeper and look at themselves. And the program's designed that way because the foundation of being uh, an effective um, interfaith minister, and I think a, a, a healthy human being, is to know yourself to know thyself, and to know uh, what your triggers are, to know what your history is, and not get stuck, there's that word again, in um, your history, certainly, um, but to keep that, that circle going and be more and more aware of who you are so that you can be fully present for other people. When you're a minister and you're with another person, it's critical that you leave your agenda at the door. And if people say, I don't have any agenda, everybody has an agenda. I have an agenda. The important thing is to leave it at the door so that you're fully present and available for that person in the sacred conversation, in the healing companionship conversation. I love the word contemplation. It's reminiscent of sunrises and Crescent Beach. But when you think about contemplation and what it truly means, sometimes it's not pretty. It means really struggling with your own mind and your own thoughts. Is this something you've had to do in your life? You, you mean like last night? Okay. No, I, 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 appreci I appreciate your honesty in the sense that it's not pretty, um, your words. And I think uh, what you're saying is that it hurts 
or it's not who we want to be in that moment. But the gift it's giving you is that it's who you are at that moment. It's the truth. And we can put different labels on it. We can call it not pretty or it's inconvenient. I have to get to work, etc. But it's truth. And that underlies um, an authentic life. And I think, you know, as I think back to being a hospice chaplain and spending a lot of time with families when uh, a family member is dying, there, there was a theme about wanting to live a life as the person that you are and not pretending to be someone else. That is um, a wish to let go over time of the roles that sometimes we play ourselves, sometimes the roles that society or our family members or other people put on us, but to let go of the roles over time and allow to emerge the authentic self. Life, I mean, we're human. Life continues until we die. And then there's, that's another program after that. But I, th I think, yeah, it's, it's ongoing. It's ongoing, the, 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 uh, the challenge to be authentic and who you are as a, both as an emotional being and a spiritual being. So I think um, the divine or God, whatever name we have for that, the larger self, um, the, the everything that's um, behind everything or above all of us, um, that quality, that divinity wants realness, wants authenticity. I, I don't know any other way to say it. Um, God doesn't, um, doesn't abide fools or people that, that play roles, um, that have uh, extraordinary egos, that have needs. Um, it's about being who you are. And a lot of times people come into chaplaincy or if they have a conversation with me where I'm, I'm providing spiritual companionship, their sometimes stated, sometimes unstated wish is that, oh, well, if I become more spiritual, I'm not going to hurt so much, or I'm not going to cry, or I'm not going to be pissed off and angry, or I won't wake up th at 3 a.m. really raging about something. The opposite is probably true, that the more that you uncover the roles and divest yourself of the roles, you're going to feel more. But there'll be, um, I think, a confidence and an understanding, A, that you're not alone, that God is with you and encouraging you, and B, you will feel that depth of authenticity. And it doesn't matter what other people say or do because you are living your life, your own life, which no one else can do for you. Talk to us about the importance of space. Well, space means lots of things. It means physical space and uh, a, a great um, quality of the Hindu religion is that there is, uh, in, in most Hindu homes, there's space, there's spiritual, sacred space, everywhere you look. There's a flower, there's an icon, talking about including closets and bedrooms and bathrooms, it's everywhere. So there's a, uh, the notion of creating sacred space wherever you are. There's a notion too, I think, of a being, I don't, I don't think you have to be a minister to do this at all, but someone who carries sacred space with them so that when, I mean, I have some friends like this, I know that when I'm with them, there is a sacred quality about our conversation. We're not going to talk about trivia. We're going to get right to it. So there's that kind of space, the, the um, emotional and spiritual space of a conversation. 
I don't, I don't know what else to say about uh, space is except that there's the 3 a.m. kind of space where I wake up and um, sometimes the moon has found its way in the window and it's shining on my face and wants me to get up. Sometimes my heart is racing because I have uh, a feeling that needs to be expressed some, somehow. Or sometimes my mind is going, there's an intellectual um, list I have to put down on paper. Um, but that kind of um, space uh, keeps, keeps you alive, I think, if you can be aware of that. And uh, again, coming back to that circle, keeping it moving, keeping it moving, keeping it expressed. It's, it's why the, the Chime program has a very strong component of art, using the word art in a very broad way, um, so that the expression of whatever it is that's inside has a form to come out into the world. And is there also space in silence? Of course, yeah. Our culture, um, it can be a revolutionary act to walk into your job and say, let's have a moment of silence before the staff meeting. Somebody says, well, we've got a whole list of things we have to, no, let's have a moment of silence. That can be, I suppose, evolutionary, but revolutionary as well. And we start everything at Chime, whether it's our classes or our workshops, and particularly our Board of Trustees meetings with a moment of silence. Yes, I'm going to ring the Tibetan bowl once. We'll drop into some silence, and then I'll ring the bowl again at the conclusion. is the best-selling poet in this country and has been for 10 years. And it is no accident that he lived and worked in Afghanistan. I mean, he walked the streets of Baghdad and brings to us, I think, uh, much encouragement to be authentic, to let go of the roles, a helper of hearts. Don't look down on the heart, even if it's not behaving well. Even in that shape, the heart is more precious than the teachings of the exalted saints. The broken heart is where God looks. How lucky is the soul that mends the heart. For God, consoling the heart that is broken into hundreds of pieces is better than going on pilgrimage. God's treasures are buried in ruined hearts. If you put on the belt of service and serve hearts like a slave or servant, the roads to all the secrets will open before your eyes. If you want peace and glory, forget about your earthly honors and try to please the hearts. If you become a helper of hearts, springs of wisdom will flow from your heart the water of life 
will run from your mouth like a torrent. Your breath will become medicine like the breath of Jesus. Be silent. Even if you have 200 tongues in each hair on your head, you won't be able to explain the heart. I'm glad to share that with you. Thank you for that, Reverend Watson. How do people find out more about your organization? Well, Chime has a website, chimeofmaine.org. And uh, it's a good website, up to date. And we have various uh, events that are open to the public during the summer and also during the school year. So those are listed on the website, chimeofmaine.org. And if some of our listeners would like to speak with you directly? I'm reminded of of what we were saying earlier, that sometimes groups or organizations are not what people are seeking. So sometimes individuals um, are looking for somebody in a a more um, intimate and private setting. And I I work with people in that way as well. And uh, my number is 761-2522. And I have a website, uh, rev, R-E-V, jacobwatson.com. And... uh, I'm in the phone book as well. Yeah, It's been a privilege to talk with you. I appreciate it. I really do. John McCain, our audio guru, has been trying to get you on the show for the past year. And apparently, the time is now right. Apparently. So thank you for joining us today and enlightening us with your conversation about spiritual and healing companionship. Really, it's been a privilege. Thank you. A chronic ache. Sleepless nights, a feeling of something being not quite right. You can treat the symptoms with traditional medications and feel better for a little while and continue on with your busy days. But have you ever stopped to consider the what that's at the core of a health issue? Most times it goes much deeper than you think. And when you don't treat the root cause, the aches, sleeplessness, and that not quite right feeling come back. But they don't have to you can take a step towards a healthier, more centered life. Schedule an appointment with Dr. Lisa Belisle and discover how a practice that combines traditional medicine with Eastern healing practices can put you on the right path to better living. For more information, please call The Body Architect in Portland at 207-774-2196 or visit doctorlisa.org Today, healthy living is a journey. Take the first step. This segment of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is brought to you by the following generous sponsors. Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage in Yarmouth, Maine. Honesty and integrity can take you home. With Remax Heritage, it's your move. Learn more at rheritage.com. And by Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial. With offices in Yarmouth, Maine, the Shepard Financial team is there to help you evolve with your money. For more information on Shepard Financial's refreshing perspective on investing, please email tom at shepherdfinancialmaine.com. Today on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, our topic is healing companionship. And with us to speak about this topic is John Patrick Walker of J.P. Walker and the Guilty Party. John Patrick is an actor and a musician and a good friend of our co-host, Genevieve Morgan. Hi, John. 
Hi, Genevieve. Hi, Lisa. And hi, good to see you. Thanks and for also me. in the studio, we have Jenny. Your manager. <laughs> That's right. My manager and, and my dog. Yes. Actually. So yeah. she won't be speaking to us, but, <laughs> no, but, but she, she is here. She's your companion. Yes. She'll make sure everything is, is uh, on, on the up and up. And yeah, if, I, if we have any concerns, we can we can talk to, to Jenny. Yeah. She seems very zen right now. She is. She's so that's very, good. Very in the moment at yeah. all times. Good. Mellow energy. Yeah. Um, I know there was a very good reason that Genevieve wanted you to come in today. And it's not just because you're friends. Mm-hmm. You've had uh, some significant things happen in your life recently. I have, yeah. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm 44 years old, and uh, so there's that, just sort of midlife. Just being you know, 44 is just kind of you know, okay. amazing and miraculous. Um, and this past fall, I lost my mom uh, to ovarian cancer. Um, she, uh, she and I were very close. I'm an only child, and. Um, my parents divorced when I was four, but they had shared custody. It was an amicable divorce. Um, but the, the you know my, my childhood experience growing up with with my mom and my dad, you know, I was very close to both of them, um, sort of on this individual one-on-one uh, dynamic, and um, and she she yeah so so in let's see April of 2010. She was diagnosed with uh, ovarian cancer. Um, at the time, she was living here in Portland um, and had moved up here a couple years prior um, to sort of start a, a new life. She had a, a, a boyfriend that was that lives in Brunswick, um, and she decided to move up here and kind of, <clears throat> you know, see what life was like up here to be closer with him and so forth. Um, she was diagnosed in uh, 2010, and you know, it was it was. Pretty serious, and it was very clear that that she would need, you know, some real help, and there was no way she could come back to Portland. She wanted to get treatment either in New Haven, where that's where I grew up, and where actually that's where she was diagnosed, coincidentally, um, or in New York for, for treatment. So we ended up, uh, my wife and I, uh, ended up taking her in, and she was with us for the rest of her her life, which was, you know, um, a little more, you know, a little more than two years. Or less than two years, I should say, about a year and a half. Um, so it was a really challenging, you know, as you can imagine, to take a, a really sick person into your home. Um, but also very, you know, I felt very blessed in a, in a funny way. Um, obviously, never would have wanted her to get sick, but the fact that she was sick gave us this chance to really care for her. And, you know, um, it, it afforded us a lot of time to... Um, say all the things we wanted to say to really, you know, connect in a deep way through, you know, caring for the, for her through this illness. Um, and that must have been interesting because, do I understand you have children as well? And I have, yeah, we have two girls. Um, my eldest is about to turn 10 and I have a seven and a half year old as well. And um, so for them too, um, I feel like they'll never forget her, you know, whereas, you know, if she had never lived with us for those, those months, um, they're young enough that it might be like, oh, yeah, Grandma, I don't remember her that well. But she was with us you know, day in, day out for, for for those months, and they were very close with her and got to spend a lot of time with her. So that was another another sort of uh, blessing that came out of the, the illness. One of the things we were speaking about with Reverend Jacob Watson before mm-hmm. this interview was about the idea of being a companion to somebody in stress and, and grief. Right. And you were dealing with your own grief, but you were also needing to be a companion to your mother. That's right. So that must have been very difficult for you. 
It was. I mean, I was the grieving process started before she actually passed away because it, she was so sick and it was so clear that she wasn't going to ultimately get better. We might buy her some time with treatment and so forth. And we did buy her some time. But um, it's as an only child, you know, as the only son, I, I, I felt this deep sense of, gosh, I wish I could make her better. I, I feel like I somehow should be able to make her better. Knowing rationally that, of course, you know, I'm not superhuman, but you, you just, I couldn't help but have this, this just feeling of God. If there's any, you know, if there's anything I, I could do to make her better, but I, what I could do was love her and care for her and be there for her. And so, I feel like I did as much as I sort of could do, and I felt blessed that I, that we had the room in our home, that we had the time. As you know, my wife and I are both actors, musicians, so forth. So there's a lot of free time. We're sort of a freelance lives that we lead. Um, it'd be harder if I was a doctor or a lawyer or something, you know, to take care of my mother in, in the intense way that I was able to. So, um, so it was, it was, it was definitely an intense and challenging, but um, you know, deeply spiritual and kind of moving experience to go through, and to sort of usher her uh, into the next, the next life or whatever, whatever's on the other side. Do you have a spiritual practice or a religion that you um, subscribe to? Or? I, 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 my mom and I moved into a Buddhist Zen center when, we were, when I was about eight. And we lived there for a couple of years. Then we moved away. Then we moved back for a couple of years. We did a lot of moving um, in my childhood, although we stayed in, in and around the New Haven area where I grew up. Um, so I, I do have um, Buddhist leanings, but I wouldn't call myself a Buddhist. Uh, I, I, I do uh, consider myself to be a very spiritual person, but I'm, I'm more drawn to the sort of mystical uh, side of things where you can just connect directly to the higher power, whatever that is, um, the universe, God. Uh, I, don't, I don't subscribe to any particular religion. No. Talk to us about what happened after your mother died because you were clearly bereaved, you were grieving. Mm -hmm. But then some things started to happen for you. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was really interesting, sort of out of the ashes of, <laughs> literally um, and figuratively, of her, of her passing, emerged this chapter in my life that I really didn't see coming. Um, sh she passed away in October of, of this past year, of, of 2011, um, and in... But in the summer before she died, she was very ill at that point. She was in the hospital and wasn't going to be coming out of the hospital. And I was up doing a play in Williamstown, Massachusetts. She was down in New York. And uh, I was, I, I, this one day I received an email. Um, I have a Facebook account. And I received an email, as, as people do, that said, so-and-so wants to be friends with you on Facebook. This so-and-so had a very distinct and unusual name that put, just put a big smile on my face. The, the person's name is and was and is Fode Bojang, F-O-D-A-Y-B-O-J-A-N-G. Fode Bojang wants to be friends with you. Now, normally, if someone randomly friended me and I had no idea who they were, I probably would just delete the email. But because this man had such an unusual name, I was curious. So I went to his page, and he uh, had a very friendly face. But there was very little information on the page. 
He had seven other friends, so he was clearly new to Facebook. He um, it had his, his date of birth. We were about the same age. He was born in 1968. It said he lived on a farm. It said that he had a secondary education. That was it. That was the, There was no marital status. There was no where he's from, where he lives. So I was just really... Um, taken in by this sort of mystery man that, had, that wanted to be my friend. And one day, I was hanging out with my kids, and I had my guitar, and I had kind of told them about this name, and we were all sort of saying, Fode Bojang, Fode Bojang, because we just thought it was so fun to say. And this one day, I started strumming the guitar, and I actually started playing the song Louie Louie by the Kingsman, but I was singing Fode Bojang instead of Louie Louie, right? And... Out of that came an actual original song that just sort of, I said, hey, well, if I change this chord and I do that, oh, that's kind of cool, a song about Fody Bojang. It, it sounds good to sing it. It feels good to sing it. And there was an alliteration that was very pleasing, Fody Bojang friended, you know, I got friended by Fody Bojang on Facebook. You know, it just was kind of too good to pass up. So I wrote a song. And as soon as I had it written, it took a few days to sort of get the bridge put in and the right verses and all that. But when it was done, I got this, this, uh, I got goosebumps and I thought to myself, I've got to go into a studio and record this song. Now, I had been in bands in high school and in college and in my 20s, I was making demos and playing guitar and did a couple little solo gigs. But for the last 12, 13 years, the guitar had pretty much been collecting dust. As it so often happens with people, you get married, you have a family, career. I really wasn't playing. Um, occasionally, I would, I would, of course, always be drawn back to it. And I did write a couple songs in my 30s, but they sat you know, in a drawer somewhere. At any rate, I write this song. I decide I got to go record it. Um, a week later, I'm in Maine. And a friend of mine lives in Nashville, Tennessee. And he's a musician, so I just tell him what's going on. And he says, well, hey, come to Nashville. I have friends. My best friend has a studio. I have all these great musician friends. We could do it. It wouldn't have to cost you very much. Take a couple days. You have a song. Great. So in September, um, late September, I'd, we'd gone back to New York at the end of the summer, you know, spending a lot of time with my mom. But we took those couple days, went down and recorded the song. It, it was just a dream. It was just a magical, wonderful experience. I thought this is the, the, you know, the greatest thing I could I could do. It was just so much fun. And I got back to um, to New York. I was able to play that song for my mom. She was she was near the, kind of getting near the end. But I played her the song. She was thrilled by it and really loved it. Um, within two weeks, I had a band, which again was just completely unexpected. But I had a friend who had recently opened a bar. And I said, can I come play my some songs at your bar? He said, yeah, but it's too bad you don't have a band. So I sort of scratched my head and thought, yeah, that'd be cool to have a band, but who, who, you know, how am I going to get a band together? That sounds impossible. Well, I do know a few people. Made three phone calls, got three yeses immediately. So now I have a band. So you know, two weeks after getting back from Nashville, I'm in practice with my band. Two weeks later, uh, or about a week later, my mom goes into hospice, and, and about a week after that, she, she, she passes away. And I got to be with her at the very end and you know, holding her hand as she took her last breath. So that was a very moving and deep experience. Um, so now, though, out of this, this place of incredible grief, I've suddenly got this new creative outlet that I didn't have. You know, as an actor, I've been an actor for 20 years. You're very uh, at the mercy of other people's opinions, other people's projects. You're waiting for the phone to ring. You have an audition, you get a call back, oh, you were so great, but, you know, we're going to go another way. You know, I, I've gotten a lot of work. I've supported myself as an actor, but it's a, it can be a very frustrating career.
But with the music, I suddenly had this, this you know, very empowering, self-empowering realization that, hey, I, you know, I can make music. Um, that doesn't have to be just a hobby that I don't have any time for. I can start to make time for my music. And so out of the grief, I was able to, you know, I had this band and I decided I'm going back to Nashville. I have the songs in this drawer. Let me go look at these songs. Some of them were pretty great. They needed some work. They needed some shaping. But I started working on these older songs, kept writing, got some new songs, and um, ended up going back to Nashville three other times. And uh, here I am uh, in, you know, a year, a year after getting this email from Fody Bojang, I have an album. And I'm very, very proud of it and really excited. And I think, I think it's got a lot of potential. I really do. But it's just eerie because what if Fody Bojang hadn't friended me? I mean, honestly, would I have made this record? I mean, it was not in my consciousness. I was not thinking about it. So you just, it's just one of those, one of those turns in your life that, that comes from a very unexpected place. We'll return to our interview after acknowledging the following generous sponsors. Robin Hodgkin, Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney in Portland, Maine. For all your investment needs, call Robin Hodgkin at 207-771-0888. Investments and services are offered through Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC, member SIPC. And by Booth. Accounting and business management services, payroll, and bookkeeping. Business is done better with Booth. Go to boothmain.com for more information. And maybe if you hadn't been going through what you were going through, you might not have been open to it. Well, exactly. Exactly. I think just the, 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 the year I'd spent caring for my mom, it's like, my nerve endings were, were exposed, which is difficult, but it also does kind of open you up to the creative impulse in a, in a, in a different kind of way, because you just suddenly feel like, man, life is so fragile. Life is so precious. And, and again, being, 40, you know, being in my mid-40s, and you sort of go, well, what do I really want to do? Do I want to just keep waiting for the phone to ring, or do I want to find something that gives me incredible joy that I can do right now and share with people? And so, Can you do that for us right now? Share it with us? Your sure. Song, sure, I'll play a little Fody Bojang. Is, is this right the first, first time that people in Maine are going to hear this song um, for the album? Actually, I well, I was at I was at Cafe Lompoc up on uh, in Bar Harbor um, last week at a, at, a, at at their at the you know it was like an open mic night and I went and played this. So a select few Mainers have heard this song before, but uh, this will be the first time I'm playing it for you all. So this is this is the song that started. I'll just play a little a little bit for you just to give you a taste. I don't know where he lives, but I know he's a farmer I know what it looks like, I don't know what he say But Fode Bojang, who wants to be my friend Said who wants to be my friend in the worst way Fode Bojang, friend and me Fode Bojang, he likes me too Fode Bojang Friended me the other day. I got friended by Fode Bojang, Fode Bojang, Fode Bojang. Thanks for listening. <laughs> so, in a weird way, do you think that Fode Bojang became your spiritual, your healing companion? You know, in a funny way, he did. It's it's kind of it's kind of eerie. It's kind of uh, uncanny, but. Um, 
it, it's, yeah, you're not the first person to say, is Fodi Bojang God? That's what someone said to me, you know, a few weeks ago. Maybe, maybe I don't know. All of the above. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who knows? But it was, it was, it was pretty cool how it all how it all happened. And what so? And what about your bandmates? I mean, the interesting thing for me is that you had just gone through this almost two year period of really having to kind of hunker down and be with your mom, yeah. and your family, and really have to do a lot of intensive one on one stuff. Mm-hmm. And did these bandmates of yours provide? spiritual companionship at a time where you really needed to get out into the world again? Well, like I said, the, the band actually was formed literally about two weeks before before she passed away. So so absolutely, I mean, it was a huge support that I just, you know, never would have, again, expected or thought to ask for, but it just kind of happened. And, and really, has this year has really, I just, I sort of, it's hard to imagine how difficult this year would have been if I hadn't had the music, if, if I hadn't been giving myself permission to go into that place and explore in that creative way, um, if I hadn't had the band, if I hadn't made the album, I don't know, it would have been, it would have, it, you know, it was a hard year anyway, but, but um, there was a lot of joy out of, out of all the music. And, and the thing is, my mom was a huge lover of music. I mean, half the reason that I'm as musical as I am, probably more than half, frankly, is, is uh, growing up you know, with my mom listening to Joni Mitchell endlessly, Stevie Wonder, Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, you know. These these albums are the soundtrack of my childhood, Crosby, Sills and Nash, and Paul Simon, there goes Ryman Simon, and, you know, Harry Nilsson, all these singer-songwriters and, and you know, rock and roll bands, and um, uh, it's it was a huge part of my of my childhood, and it, it just, I was, I always just loved music deeply, and um, so I have that to, to thank her for, and so this really feels sort of like giving a gift back to her in some spiritual way. Um, there's a song on the album, which maybe there'll be time for you to hear a recording I, uh, that was written for my mom after she after she passed, that's on the record, um, called Miss You Mama, and um, well, the title sort of says it all, but... Um, the whole thing's really, I mean, I dedicate the record to the women in my life, um, to my wife and children and, and to my mom. But then I also dedicate it to my dad because how can I leave my dad out of it? Do you, do you think that um, part of what going back and bringing your mom into your life enabled you to do was in some interesting way return to some piece of your childhood that maybe needed healing, that maybe needed sort of bringing back around. And similarly, the guitar, where you said it had been gathering dust, but music was really joyful for you, and it was something you did in your childhood. I mean, was there sort of a returning back to this youthful element that kind of brought you back to life in some way? Absolutely. I mean, one of the most amazing things of all of this is the fact that my dad, who, you know, I mentioned earlier, they divorced in 1972 or three. Um, My dad was a huge presence at the end. For her, the, the summer last summer when I was up in Williamstown and wrote the song and doing this play, you know, I, I was going down every day off, driving down to the city and being with my mom. But my dad ended up being there day in, day out um, for my mom, and he told me and her, you know, that summer that he realized that she was the love of his life. Um, he's he's single. He was married a second time and then divorced. Um, he's been you know a bachelor for the last. 20 odd years 
but he said, she's the love of my life. And my mom referred to him, in, you know, near the end as her rock. She was like, well, he, you know, Bruce was my rock. So as a child of divorce, you know, it was incredibly healing to, to see them coming back together in a certain way. It wasn't romantic. It wasn't, you know, um, anything of that nature. But it was, they, they reconnected in a very deep way. So that was, you know, an unbelievably healing thing for the, the, the child within me that, that I think, you know, has always felt um, just confused and hurt by, by the divorce in some way, even though, again, it was an amicable divorce and, you know, and they had shared custody of me. So it was about as, about as painless as you could ask of a divorce, but it was still a divorce. Um, so that was a very unexpected and wonderful um, thing that happened. It's appropriate that you're in here talking with us today. We really appreciate your um, music. And, and tell us where, when the album's coming out and where people can find it. The album should be out uh, hopefully, I would say, by October. Safe, safe guess. Uh, there'll, be, there'll be vinyl. I'm going to go you know, make records and there'll be CDs. Um, I'm sure the album will be available on you know, iTunes and um, probably available for free listening on Spotify. Um, so uh, people can look for it it'll be it'll be called john patrick walker the guilty party will be the name of the album um facebook page yes there's a facebook page um there'll be a website there isn't one yet i have to get some help with that (laughs) yeah well it sounds like you have no problem attracting the right help into your life the right companionship if you just ask for it you know the, the, the universe will give you what you need very good thanks so much for joining us thank you it's a pleasure As a special gift to you, our listener, we offer a brief piece from John Patrick Walker's upcoming album. We hope you enjoy. I hung your rings upon the altar here And gave your clothes away There are some things I We hope you've enjoyed today's show on Healing Companionship, featuring the Reverend Jacob Watson, founder of the Chaplaincy Institute of Maine, and actor, musician, and songwriter John Patrick Walker. For more information on our guests, visit doctorlisa.org. Please also like us on Facebook and take a moment to let us know what you think of our shows. Thank you to our sponsors who make possible the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast every week. We appreciate their being part of our world. This is Dr. Lisa Belisle. Thank you for being part of our world. May you have a bountiful life. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin at Remax Heritage, Robin Hodgkin at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists, Marcy Booth of Booth Financial Services, UNE, the University of New England, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, and The Body Architect. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is recorded in downtown Portland at the offices of Maine Magazine on 75 Market Street. It is produced by Kevin Thomas and Dr. Lisa Belisle, Editorial content produced by Genevieve Morgan. Audio production and original music 
by John C. McCain. For more information on our hosts, production team, main magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, visit us at doctorlisa.org. Download and become a podcast subscriber of Dr. Lisa Belial through iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details.